Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. Appreciate those who are here and their faithfulness to be here and to hunger after um, you and the knowledge of you and the love of you and uh, also their love for each other. I pray that that continues to grow. Meet with us as we study this last of the Ten Commandments this morning, that um, we would be challenged, that we would be driven to the cross. It's for Christ's name and for his glory we pray. Amen. So we've been going through the Ten Commandments. Sorry. Hey, how are you? Welcome. This is Dan Smith, the RUF leader at UT Tyler, and... His wife, Brittany, Brittany and, and, and I assume that you got kind of hung up putting your kids at the... It's two? One. Two. One. Two. That's right, two. Congratulations. Yes, I'm the one. Well, welcome. Welcome. So um, there's a front row, if you dare. Um, I'll scoot back because I tend to bless the people. So we'll do. We are going through the Ten Commandments. We're on the last one, so you got in just in time. Um, can you quote them by now? The Ten Commandments. No, not the R's. The Ten, the ten Commandments. Can you, can you, well, we started with, shall have no other gods before me. What do we, what do we say that indicated? The right heart. No, that's an R's. Very good. Uh, what, what, is the, uh, what is the second one? No other gods. No graven image. No, don't make an idol. We, we found that the core of that is what? Have the right God, not the God of our imagination, right? Then you have uh, uh, the uh, don't use the Lord's name in vain. We talked about that. It's not just taboo words. That, that deals with an entire life that bears the name of Christ and how we reflect him and whether we reflect him vainly. Um, then we talked about, uh, remember the Sabbath. Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath, and then our gathering together on the first day of the week is a declaration of the rest that we have in Him. Then we have uh, honor your father and mother. Where do we go with that? Do you remember the right response? What, what does that mean? What does that mean? What was this, what was significant about that being the beginning of the second tablet? Do you remember? It was people oriented. The second tablet seems to have that, although we, we talked about you don't do the second without understanding the first. But again, it starts with a right heart, right? That we're trained from birth in the ideal situation to honor both the authority that God has placed in our uh, over us and the history and truth handed down to us through prior generations. So that begins with an orientation of the heart. Then we went to what? <coughs> The ones that are real simple, that were pretty obvious. Don't murder. Don't murder. Why? What's the big deal? Isn't survival of the fittest? What was the deal? Why do we not murder? Do we know this? Why are we not murdering then? We're made in the image of God. And we respect it from conception to the last breath. We are his we are in his image. Um 
and, and human life is valuable because we bear the image of God. And the next one is, you shall not commit adultery. At the core, our sexuality reflects the Trinity, unity, and plurality. God created us to reflect him. Then you have, don't steal. You shall not steal. Um, right respect for his possessions. It's all his. The money in my neighbor's wallet is his. And then last week we talked about uh, do not bear false witness and right report was our, our little hanger there. Uh, the truthfulness of our witness to the worth of Christ is not just an individual affair. It is a corporate witness. <coughs> Through our commitment to the truth in word and action, we testify to the riches of God's grace and kindness to us in Christ and the power of the Spirit transforming sinners into a holy people. The church is his witness. We either do it well or we don't. We're called to do it well, of course. So let's look at this last commandment, the last one of this very brief series of the Ten Commandments. Chapter 20, Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. What an odd way to end it. Doesn't that seem weird to you? We start with the right worship of God and end up not eyeing your neighbor's donkey. What's the point there? What do you think? Why would he end it that way? Seems like it's starting big and going small, and it's pervasive to all of life. Okay. It goes down to the smallest detail, <clears throat> and he has a whole lot of details. It includes donkeys. Including donkeys. <clears throat> but what about cows, or <laughs> dogs, or oh, or anything? Okay, there's a catch-all. So it starts with cows are free for all. It's free range. Okay, <laughs> you do. You really do. Um, it's an odd thing, isn't it? Here's this big statement in the culture. Polytheistic cultures all around them know that God's before me. That's a big paradigm-shifting deal for the culture. And then he goes down to, don't eye your neighbor's donkey. There's a drilling down, isn't there? We, we've seen this. Yes, ma'am? I feel like, um, like not having anything has to do with like contentment and gratitude. And I feel like that's a really key to the living all the other things, like if you're not grateful, if you're not content, then you're not going to be able to worship the right Very good. And isn't this, in fact, a summary commandment of all of them? Right? Didn't we see this in each of the commandments that we looked at? There's a heart issue that it's getting at. That's what Jesus brings out in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a heart issue. He didn't create that out of whole cloth. I mean, he could have. He's God. But he didn't. He's pointing back to the Tenth Commandment. It's all about where our heart is. Um, I, I find, uh, well, let, we'll get there in a second. At the heart of the command, here at the end, uh, at the core of the command, is the heart. Isn't it interesting that that's where we began? We began with, no other gods before me, the right heart. 
solely focused on who he is. And here at the very end, it's a heart issue. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, the you shall not appears twice in this verse, and it's, it's probably most likely for emphasis, I would think. Um, it doesn't address any outward action. It only addresses inward desire that may lead to an external activity that is sin. The problem is not theft of the house, although that's wrong. It's the desire for the neighbor's house, you see. Covet, the word for covet, literally means inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire for something. Do you remember Genesis 3? <clears throat> Eve's desire for the apple? It, that's, that's the implication. That's the same kind of language here. Eve sinned before she ate the apple. Right? It was the desire for something that wasn't hers, that was God's. That's where the sin happened. It happened in the heart and then led to a physical action that was sin as well. So we talked about a progression of the commandments in here before. Um, do, do you remember that progression? We, we talked about how uh, murder is obvious. Adultery, less obvious, but still fairly obvious, can be. Um, stealing, I mean, if you, you're good at it, it's even less obvious. Although there are those videos that show you know, dumb thieves and all. Um, lying can be even less detectable. Coveting. Coveting. What does that hurt? Why, why is that a problem? And it's just in my head. We're supposed to, we're supposed to have a relationship with God, not relationship compared with each other. So if the focus is on your neighbor's stuff, then your focus is not on God, which is where your heart should be. Well, yes. It's a, it, again, it, it betrays something, I think, very um, fundamental with us. It struck me, as I was going through this, trying to summarize and get through, it struck me the incredible dichotomy the difference the, between the command of the, the first command, no other God before me, this is what it's supposed to look like, one God, and then what coveting reveals about my heart. I'm a polytheist at heart, right? I want stuff that's not mine, and it drives me to all kinds of things. It's a positive this is what you should be. Covenant brings out our nature, doesn't it? From the heart, we sin. If you don't believe in total depravity, try not coveting. There it is. It brings it out. It reveals it. It lays it bare. This is a summary command. This is what it should look like. And then we get to the 10th commandment. It says, you can't do this. You can't do it. From the heart, you can't do it. Even people that say that we can't do this still think we can do this. We, we elevate ourselves by comparing how much we are better 
at an element of holiness than someone else's. And guess what? In doing that, we've just coveted. Because we're coveting the honor due to Christ for any slight change in us in reflecting him um, a little better in, in grace that he's given us, maybe a little better than he has in, in somebody else at that, at that specific time. Anytime we start to compare ourselves to others, anytime we start to move um, our, our, our um, esteem of ourselves higher than someone else because we may do something a little better, that's, that's stealing from God. He, he created us, right? Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, that's external. Impurity can be external. Passion, it's internal, isn't it? Evil desire, internal. And covetousness. And then Paul adds this little phrase that throws the whole thing into When everybody talks about do not murder, they're fine. But when they go to covet, everybody loses their minds, you know, kind of thing. He says this, which is idolatry. What does that do? That kicks it up to the top. Covetousness kicks it back up to the top. That's pretty harsh. Why would Paul call something that I may do in my head that's just in me? Why would he call that a violation of the first commandment, possibly the second? Because there's a proper order of, of things, and you're supposed to give glory to God, number one. But when you're coveting something that's not yours, you're, you're saying, I'm above God because God only gave me this, but I need to have that. So I know better than God. Therefore, you're, you're saying in your heart that you're... So God. in coveting, when we're saying, I should have this, my, isn't God isn't enough. He's not good to me. So we impugn the character of God, right? Is that what we're saying? My grandfather used to say, to, to get around this law, he used to say, <clears throat> I wish I had his boat and he had a better one. <laughs> doesn't quite work, doesn't <laughs> um, What we desire... What we try to gain for ourselves that's not ours, and if, if we do it, un, un, we'll talk in a minute, there is proper desire. But being consumed by something, whether it's a person, place, or thing, that becomes your God. That becomes a violation of the first commandment. My heart condemns me. The moment I break this last commandment, I've broken the first. And if I've broken it regarding some, regarding some object, I've broken the second. Then I've got a graven image that's in the form of some car. Not for me personally, but because I'm just not a car guy. So, you know, big, whatever. And on it goes down the list. We see this continually. Um, to fulfill this commandment, I must love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. This commandment seems like the least one, the smallest one. It really exposes the biggest problem. It's a summary command. Does your heart condemn you when you hear this? Yes? No? How could it not? 
Where does that leave all of us? Condemned. Condemned. Points us to Christ. You're closer, so it'll pick up there. Points us to Christ. Uh, and it should. We're all idolaters at heart, right? We've seen that through and through again and again. We're created to reflect His image, but we hunger to reflect anything but His image. We reflect our image. Some sort of way. Some marring of His image. This is what got to Paul in Romans 7, 7, where he says, What then shall we say, that the law is sin by no means? Well, it causes me to sin. How could it not be sin? Pointing out my sin. The law is what? Good or bad? Good. Good. Why is it good? Because what? It came from God. He's just a killjoy. Why is the law good? Shows us our sin. Shows us our need for sin. It just points out bad stuff, though. It shows what? It shows the character of God. These ten words, these ten testimonies are of who He is, right? It keeps you in sin. And it keeps us in sin. Which is good because it leads us to Christ. (laughs) Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What does it say? Thanks be to God through? Through Jesus Christ. The law is our tutor, isn't it? Is that what Paul says? The commandments don't take care of our sin. They don't take care of the condemnation that we have under the law. It only highlights it. It only brings it in stark relief. I wouldn't know not to covet. I wouldn't know that desiring stuff is wrong unless the law said do not covet. Well, I know it's wrong, but it just brings it out really sharply. That I can't, I can't obey that. I can't do it. It cannot cure it. But it can point us to the one who can. Galatians 3.24 So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be, fulfilled, might be justified by faith. That's Galatians 3.24. That's in the ESV. It's one of the few times I'm a little disappointed in the ESV. The NASB... 95, says, and Philip will be happy I'm reading this, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The law does double duty, doesn't it? A verse in Romans that says the purpose of the law was to show the righteousness of, of God, but there's a better way to show the righteousness of God, Jesus Christ. Romans 7, 6, do you remember that going through your Romans day? I'm looking at our Romans, our current Romans expert for the week, Tammy Ryan. Yes, Tammy Ryan. Do you have? What is it? The judges say yes. I don't recall off the top of my head. Uh, maybe some of you do. Does that sound familiar? I mean, okay, maybe. <laughs> That's in Romans. Yeah, that's in Romans. The law cannot do that was through 
flesh, God seeing his own son in likeness of sinful flesh, and personally admits him in the flesh. Yeah. Yeah. Romans 8 3 would, would do that. The law not only shows us our sin, it points us to the solution, faith in Christ alone, who redeemed us from the curse of the law in Galatians 3.13. So there it is. We are called by Scripture to empty ourselves of all desire. Right? To obtain liberty through death. Of desire. Is that right? Would be good Buddhist then? Is that what it's saying? Any wanting is bad. So we should just sit here and starve to death to get to Nirvana. What what is it saying there? What is is there a positive position, a positive command here, even in this very uh, wounding tenth commandment? Is there a positive Dan's about to jump out of his chair. Be thankful. Okay. What what else? He's saying that um, you should like want God before everything else and wanting God will supply everything else. Ah. Plus there are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Okay. Would you like to add something? I mean, I think I think of C. S. Lewis and other people who said our affections just aren't strong enough. That's right. That's right. Thomas Chalmers, Chalmers. yeah. Uh, that you that he talks about. And I think I wrote it down here. The expulsive power of a new. Yeah, there he is. The expulsive power of a new affection. Desire is not bad. God created us to want. He created us to need. He created us to crave, even. But he created us to crave him. To love Christ. To treasure and covet him. There is no liberty in the death of desire. We're not forbidden to desire the blessings of God's creation or the fruit of human labor. The Bible condemns desiring what belongs to others. Even further, it condemns desire that would draw us away from resolutely serving God wherever His good providence has placed us. It's ironic here that this command actually calls us to greater desire. To infinite desire, actually. If we can do that as finite creatures. It calls us to love God more passionately than we love our neighbor's house, his wife, his ox, or even, yes, his donkey. It calls us to love God completely with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a greater desire. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that the way he taught us to pray? My resolute desire should be for the saving power of Christ's kingdom to be greatly displayed in this world, especially through the lives of his people, starting with me. Yes? I was just 
That was the seventh commandment we talked about. We fight to obey the tenth commandment through a greater affection, through a love for Christ that's greater than anything else. That has some pretty radical implications, doesn't it? Think about that. Think about the order of the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Praise for the kingdom before he prays for daily bread. Talk about contentment. We covet Christ and he is enough. What would it look like? Just brainstorm with me. What would it look like if we actually did this individually? Crime would go down. You think so? We wouldn't need death by regulation. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What what would the nation look like? If everyone obeyed the tenth commandment, isn't that what it calls for? The mall would go out of business. So it'd be a real economic killer, is what you're saying. Wouldn't have to be. How would it not be? Let me hear this. This is economic theory here. I mean, if you're saying that it's not calling us to not <coughs> delight in and enjoy God's creation and the freedom of right. labor in the store and the marketplace, like, imagine a marketplace without coveting. Like, it'd be awesome. Yeah. Like, I still have to buy new clothes for my kid. The, the prices would be lower. Maybe. Or you'd be willing to pay them because you want to support the person who just made that, your clothes or you, whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. Take delight in shopping. So, no, not, <laughs> I can't go there. That's just too crazy to think about. Um, what else? What else? What other areas of our lives, what are the areas of our society you think would be radically transformed by the obedience to this command? Okay, that's nice in general. No divorce. No divorce. Because you wouldn't be always thinking the grass is greener on the other side. It's coveting. If you're in a marriage relationship and you're thinking that there's always something better, then it's easy to get out of it in our society. Right. Right. I think it's impossible to think in these these terms. But shouldn't yeah go ahead. Um, our relationship would change. Okay. Our between each other, our relationship with God would be completely different. Right. Um, there wouldn't be the the competing between people. There wouldn't be so much for us. Uh, I know in family there's strife. There's always something mm-hmm. in the family. Uh, and then even with friends, you have friends, but there's always still you know as humans we we have those desires. Right. That they're always. The desires are more of a bad desire. Right. I know when I think of a desire, it's not always the good desires. Um, I don't think relationships between people would drastically change. So by loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it has to go. It has to play out in everything. 
it, it, it would be a fulfillment of well, the Ten Commandments, wouldn't it? Doesn't that permeate everything? Isn't that the root core of everything? What do you do with that? If that's the call, if that's the command, and we're supposed to be new in Christ, do we just throw up our hands? I'll never be able to do that perfectly. Is there an ability that we're given as Christians to actually at least move that way? I'm not talking about being perfect. Salvation? Yes. Holy Spirit through His Word. What happens there? Is that something that we can manufacture? No. I'm not going to covet. I'm not going to covet. I'm just covet. The more you think about it, the more you do it. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And again, we see it comes back to what the psalmist says, incline my heart to love your law. Right? We crave him. The new heart craves him to change us again and again and again. We keep going back to that. And going through the testimonies of who God is, when we put ourselves in stark relief to who He is, we see the depth of how much change is needed. And there's only one solution, and that's Christ, who coveted on our behalf. Didn't He? Uh, I think He coveted rightly. Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. The great hall of faith ends with a capstone. Therefore, since, therefore, there it is, the big word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, by the way, we're not to pray to these witnesses. Let's just throw that out there. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, so, which clings so closely. No sin clings like covetousness. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Sounds a lot like a lot of self-effort there, doesn't it? Lay aside the weight, run the race. You can do it. How? Looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Now what does that mean? The founder and perfecter of our faith? Does it mean that he just espoused a bunch of great ideas? So we're not going to add any more ideas? Our faith is based on, on him. Okay. Sure. Some great ideas. That's our faith. The New King James says author and finisher. Author and finisher. So I, I like that. It's like the beginning and the end. Okay. It's like we didn't do anything. Of our faith. When, when he says our faith, what is he talking about there? He's talking about... 
Well, there are many faiths in the world. Our hope, the object of our faith, our belief. In what way? What do you mean by that? In our belief in what? In Him. He's the author and perfecter, the beginning and the end of our even our very trust in Him. Right? Yes. I was going to say going beyond just the belief and trust, the word faith could be the sanctification from being a complete unregenerate sinner to being perfect in his image. Excellent. Excellent. From from uh, from justification to glorification. He's it. Good. And he bought it. Right? How? How did he buy it? Perfect life, perfect death, perfect resurrection. Who, for the joy that was set before him. Is that desire? Is that wanting? For the joy set before him. I would think that if I were facing the cross, I would not be really interested in looking at joy beyond that. I would be a little concerned about living what I have what's at least mine, what's the joy that he's talking about here? What, what could possibly be so enticing that he would endure the cross? Which is? Redemption for us. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's not because we're so awesomely awesome. We violate the Tenth Commandment and, and basically um, rob from his Father. The joy that's before him is displaying his worth. I, I once worked through mathematically. If I were to sin, let's just be conservative. A hundred times a day. Conservatively. There are seven days in a week, so that's 700 sins a week. There are uh, 52 weeks in a year. Oh, this is where I lose my math. 52 weeks. Who's the math whiz? 700 a week? 3,665,000, sir. No, 36,500. 3,514. <laughs> so that's 3,500. To, to, okay, roughly 36,000. Okay, is that what we're saying? Roughly? Oh, wow, you're killing me. All right, let's just say roughly 36,000. That's one year. That's, that's one year. I am now 43, 42. I'm 412. Um, I'm 40, 42. That's 36, 35 to 36,000 a year, 40 years. What would that be? <laughs> Thanks, piling it on. Now I feel the weight of the law. Um, a lot of million. Okay, so seven hundred. So that. Okay, that's just me. Seven hundred thirty thousand. That's just me. What about uh, me and, and Tammy? That's well, you're younger, but we'll, we'll, for the sake of math, uh, we'll say we'll, we'll say uh, uh, one point four million. Just between I'm sorry, the two. I did that wrong. You did. One. 
Yeah. 1.4 million. Just for me. <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, and then so you and me together, baby. Yeah. 2.8 million. 2.8 million. Now our kids. Wow. They live to be as old as I am. That, that's more, you see. Then my extended family. Then let's just say Bullard, the small old town of Bullard. That's a lot, isn't it? What's the consequence for one of those? Death, death and in what way? Eternal. eternal. Because I've offended eternal God, Right? So that's just me, my family, that's just my town. For me personally, 1.4 million times of eternity in hell is what I deserve at this moment if I just do 100 a day. I'm not budgeting. That's a lot. Just me. There aren't enough eternities in existence to, to pay for my sin. And yet, there's Bullard. There's Smith County, which is growing way too fast. Like you can't even get around this town anymore. But every one of those 1.4 million, if they're just at 40, think of the guys that are 90. That's why the boat over. It's heavy. It's heavy. That's Smith County. Then you've got Texas. Good Lord, that is the biggest state in the union. We do everything bigger in Texas. Well, Alaska could melt. Um, you've got this, this huge amount of people in Texas. Possibly seceding. We don't know. There's still up. Um, but right now, we're still part of America. Pile that on. Rick, Rick Perry notwithstanding. We're, pile that on. Sorry. It just comes out. Um, so you have America. America. You have all. Now, North America. You got Canada and Mexico. It's not South America. Thank you. But let's add South America. Do you see where this is? One sends me to an eternity in hell. I got 1.4 million right now as we stand, sit, you know, wherever you are. And, and it, it just grows. What's the joy there? What's he demonstrating? As much as I'm condemned, he, by being sufficient to pay for my condemnation and those sufficient for the world. Efficient is another question we can get to later. But sufficient for the world displays what? The riches of his worth. That the Tenth Commandment displays needs to be paid for, has to be paid for, has to be substituted for. Only he can do it. Does that make sense? It's the glory of Christ. It's just displayed. Colossians talks about how he, he nails the, um, the legal debt that I have against uh, to God. He nails it to the cross as, an, as a, um, well, a display, a ridicule, a mockery of the powers that would um, accuse me now. Who's going to accuse me? There's no condemnation in Christ. And yet 1.4 million, conservatively, and I'm a conservative, of 100 sins a day. Who would accuse me? He's so much more worth my sin. Does that comfort you? It should. Does that ignite in you a desire for something greater than your neighbor's house or even his donkey? It should. 
it, it causes us, it, it, it compels us to a greater affection for the one who would lay down this massively infinite, worthy, perfect life for us. to die for man. should have lived as the old, old uh... <laughs> okay if you want a $10 word Ty brings up it's called hypostatic union if we want to really um, use it at your next party you'll get I don't know, another <coughs> fruitcake or something but th- this is um, this should cause us to be confident in him because we have no confidence in ourselves right and from our confidence in Him, then we work because He's working in us. We, we are sanctified because the Spirit's working in us. Does, does that make sense? Do we... I'm seeing... That, yes? That, yes? Right, close your eyes, bow your head. I see that hand. <laughs> <All right. laughs> sorry. Just as I am. Sorry. Yeah, we got 20 rounds of that coming up. Um... <laughs> Any, any other comments or questions on this? I, I hope that this is helpful. I hope this exposes us and causes us to stand in awe of the cross. Kevin, I think one, one of the things that this does, as you mentioned, is it, it shows us our sin. And so, you know, you're counting your sins daily, and the thought of murder you might have twice a day. And as the list you're being down, generous. Okay. I drive on the loop. Right. And so these these sins, uh, how you're not treating God rightly and thinking of Him and the world and everything. Right. It's just it it is weighing heavily on the wrong side of the of the weight. Yeah, James James two ten I think I wrote down uh, is is where we see that um, it, it's one for for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Why is that? For he who said, don't commit adultery, also said, don't murder. He could have easily put in there and said, don't covet. Um, it, it's the weight of it. And yet Christ 
displays his worth in carrying the weight of it because only he can do it. So, all right, uh, it's it's. Um, I've exceeded my allotted time. I'm robbing from you your time, so I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to repent and ashes. Um, let's pray. Father, we stand condemned. Every one of them, all ten, we fall way short. But I thank you that you sent Christ who stood in our place. I love that line, in my place, condemned he stood. This is our great confidence. This is our great hope. We have no other place to go. And your law exposes that in us. I pray that by your spirit you would comfort us with the confidence in Jesus. That we would love him, worship him, desire and covet and crave him. Because we become what we worship. And we look forward to the day when we will be made like him, for we will see him as he is. We will reflect him as intended, not misrepresent him as we so often do. As the law weighs heavy on our hearts, I pray that grace would be shown all the more, that we would find joy in the one who bore that weight for us. And then strive all the more to reflect him from a position of acceptance in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.